1984. Meltdown. Original air date, 21st of March, 1991. Hello and welcome to Scuttercast 24. This week I'm joined by Anthony. Hello. And I'd like to welcome back Ian. Hello. This week we'll be reviewing the episode Meltdown after a quick synopsis by Anthony. Crichton discovers a matter transporter in the research labs and the crew decide to teleport somewhere. It takes Rimmer and Crichton to a planet with a breathable atmosphere, but several unrealistic monsters chase them and eventually they get captured by Elvis and Pope Gregory. Kat and Lister, on the other hand, are brought to the Third Reich headquarters where Hitler, Goering and Goebbels are preparing a battle. Because they don't know how to use the matter paddle properly and cannot leave, Lister and Kat are captured and thrown in prison. Rimmer and Crichton are taken to the barracks where Einstein, Pythagoras, Stan Laurel and Marilyn Monroe are arguing. They are told about the planet being a giant wax theme park where the wax droids have been left for millions of years and have broken their programming. Crichton and Rimmer are informed about a war between the good characters and the evil ones, which will soon be over as the goodies are hopelessly outnumbered. Rimmer declares that this is his destiny to lead them in the war and inspects his troops, forcing Gandhi to do push-ups and insulting St. Francis of Assisi. The cat and Lister manage to escape prison with the help of Abraham Lincoln and head back. Lister objects to Rimmer's battle plans, so Rimmer orders Elvis to arrest him and Cat. Rimmer eventually wins the war by sending all his troops across the minefield except for Queen Victoria and Crichton, who shoot Hitler and then turn up the heaters so everyone melts. Lister is disgusted at Rimmer's attitude toward killing the entire population of the planet and swallows Rimmer's light bee, which projects his image. Right, thank you very much, Anthony. Just before we get to the episode review, you just want to, Ian just wants to mention a few things. Well, yeah, well, um, I don't know if you know, but this episode was originally intended to be shown, wasn't originally intended to be shown at the series finale, um, but because of the Gulf War conflict at the time, the BBC decided to postpone the episode um, due to its war theme. Um, when the hostilities had ceased, the episode was able to be broadcast at the end of the series run, which is why you'll notice Crichton doesn't disobey Rimmer's um, deranged orders despite being taught how to do so in the episode Camille. Ah... Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I think was it supposed to be the leader? This one was this supposed to be the opener or? Yeah, this was. I, I think was, this was films as the first episode, wasn't it? Yeah, because I've always took it as um, this series. There's a couple of times we've pointed out uh, like problems with Rimmer not having a light be yet, and it would make sense something else as well if this had been like the first one. Obviously, this whole series would mean that you know Rimmer had had a light be during this whole series. Yeah, yeah. You know, the end there, you get it on your DVDs. Yeah. And it's usually got, like, an outline of what's going on in the series in each episode. Yeah. Well, if you read the in I've got a written down here, yeah. Um, but it says, One big change incorporated into series four was the backstory. With the first two novels, which are Infinity Welcomes Careful Drivers and Better Than Life, uh, Rob and Doug tied up some of the areas that the original story, uh, they found it a little bit unworkable. So my guess from that is that series four... Anything before that, we have to go by the books, not the first three series. Right, right, okay. If that makes sense to anyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so, like, there's references in D, like, in series in series one, there's, like, 169 crew members in D. That's right, yeah. The, the book mentions 1,169 uh, yeah. crew members, so I think we've got to go off the books rather than the first three series now. So yeah, it's, yeah, like, change the source of the... Uh, what is canon and not so yeah it's uh, 
weird. I've never thought about that. Hmm. The first scene starts. You've got Rimmer, Lister and the cat, and then they're in the bunk room. Rimmer is basically reminiscing about how he beat his training officer playing Risk. Now, as he's sat here talking, I've put down, notice the chair is moving as he talks. But obviously we've sorted out now that he has got a physical presence, a small physical presence as it is. And um, so, yeah, I suppose that could be his light be that's nudging the chair side to side and rocking it backwards and forwards. Possibly, mm. yeah. But that's still, that's, it'll still only be the light be that's actually touching the chair, won't it? Because he's not hard light yet, is he? Yeah, yeah. No. That's, that's so in Legion, yeah. He's still soft light, isn't he? Yeah. So he still wouldn't be able to sit down on the chair. No, pro- no, but I think what it does is throughout all these episodes, it gives the fact that um, he could ha- actually be harmed. Because I, I know we've mentioned in a lot of the episodes now that why is Rimmer running from whatever? He, he's not going to get hurt at all because he's a hologram. But he does have a physical presence and he could be knocked out, switched off, whatever. Mm. Crichton, best way I can describe it, kind of beams in and he explains about the matter transporter that he's found in the research labs on Z-Deck. Right. Am I the only one that thinks that's a bit of a lame excuse for the, you know, where this teleporter comes from? But it's it's a mining ship. It's not a a big government vessel. It's not a big research vessel or scientific vessel. It is at the end of the day. It's a mining vessel, a mining ship. Yeah. And yet there they are messing around with teleporters. Um, I mean, I thought it would have been a bit more realistic if they'd have said that device we found on that uh, salvage mission from last week. Yeah, yeah. Now that yeah. Would, to me, that would have made sense more. I mean, the other thing as well, it's uh, on the commentary, it says that the, the device is actually made out of three hair, hair dryers glued together. <laughs> right. okay. I, don't, I don't know if it actually is, but, you know, obviously it was a, a cheap effect. You know, they remembered it being a, a cheap thing. But um, Something else I noticed as well is uh, end of this scene, you've got Crichton and Lister uh, teleport teleport into the shower shower for some reason is running so when Crichton and Lister came out they're dripping wet I didn't think Crichton was waterproof and he couldn't get wet well yeah that, which, uh, that's what they said in uh, Dimension Jump wasn't it in yeah. last episode yeah well, yeah but if this was meant to be the first one as well wasn't it so that this one was ideally filmed before Dimension Jump as well wasn't it yeah, yeah, it's so event wise. It contradicts yeah. itself, doesn't it? Yeah, but that's just of us of analyzing just for a change. <laughs> Still, after five months, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. sorry, and we haven't changed. <laughs> the next scene starts, and they're all in Starbug. Crichton and Holly explain about the matter transporter and how it works, and how it can transport them to any atmosphere bearing planet within. 500,000 light years but the most interesting one is 200,000 light years away and suggests that they should go check it out does it state why the one that's 200,000 light years away is the most interesting no it just kind of says that because I was looking for a little bit more on the 200,000 light years and why it was interesting um, it, it just yeah you would, you would expect uh, some sort of an explanation you know this one looks like it might hold life more than any other or there's some evidence of uh, old civilizations or something like that but no there's no mention of why it's interesting it just says the most interesting one is here oh okay yeah so um, does, that, does that mean that holly might know what's going on on the planet already then well i don't know you see because if you saw it um Crichton's holding it, it's almost like the readout for the device and it's like um mm. it's like a little guitar pedal 
if that makes sense. It's just like a small box. So I mean, it's not, it's not the size scan, is it? From <laughs> no, well, <laughs> it, it makes you think. <laughs> it's the equivalent. <laughs> Well, the size of the screen, it's almost like it's like um, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. You know, like Earth is mostly harmless. <laughs> As you say, interesting. <laughs> the thing that I, I picked up on on this is yeah. um, they say that the transpa- transporter works by um, converting an individual into digital information and then transmitting him as light beams to another point in space. Yeah. Right, so if the planet is 200,000 light years away, that would take it would take years. a <laughs> beam of light 200,000 year light years, uh, 200,000 years to get there. Yeah, light years. Yeah. Um, so if Earth is only a, that's a long time for them to get to that planet when they did it instantly. Yeah. So if they can move instantly 200,000 light years, why not just go know, back to Earth? <laughs> click of a finger, it shouldn't take them long to get home, should it? Well, yeah. Well, I mean, if it'll do 500,000 years in a jump, then what? You've got six jumps and you're home. Yeah, yeah. That's assuming that it's light years away. I know Earth is three million years away. That's assuming it is three million light years away. But if it's not light years, surely that's even closer. Yeah. No, if it's taking 200,000 light years to get there, surely that's longer than three million normal years. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's, um, yeah, yeah, three million, the, the three million years into deep space the fastest they can travel is light years, and so the most they can be is six jumps away from home. We know that Holly can go, can break the light barrier. Yeah, We've break, got that in future it, took, echoes. it took three million years to get to the... Yeah, um, but uh, basically, Earth is, is an a- absolute maximum of six jumps away with this transporter. Yeah. So, bit of a weird one, that. The next scene starts and Rimmer and Crichton have gone to the planet. Their little jump of 200,000 light years. And it's all good. Um, they look around and they, it's a breathable atmosphere and they send the device back. They then turn around and there's a couple of um, monsters, if you can call them that, look f- like from an old Godzilla movie behind them. Uh, and basically they leg it. Well, when they first appear, if you look closely, you can see Rimmer's breath is... Uh, the condensation when he breathes. Yeah, yeah. So it's obviously a cold shoot, but um, must be cold for a hologram to produce <laughs> visible breath. Yeah. Uh, well, the monsters that they're running from are from um, the 1967 movie called Gapper. Okay. Or, or Daikyuju Gapper or Giant Beast Gapper. Okay. Um, basically, Gapper was a deliberately poor Japanese monster movie which was supposed to satire poor-quality Japanese monster movies. Okay. Um, trouble is that fans of the genre loved the movie so much. <laughs> it, ended up, it ended up not being a satire at all. They loved it. <laughs> ah, okay. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's where these monsters are from. So they are um, they're from a poor-quality monster movie, and not only is it a poor-quality monster movie, it's been deliberately made to be poor, even by the quality of poor-quality monster movies. If that makes lovely. <laughs> yeah, kind of. <laughs> the next scene starts and the cat and Lister get the teleport back. I I did find it slightly weird. They were both kind of stood there with a hand open, uh, just waiting for this thing to come back. I don't know if you noticed that. And then when it um, materialised, it just materialised into the hand. Yeah, if they, if they send it back... I think Crichton sends it... He presses some buttons and sends it back remote controlly, don't he? Yeah, he does that, but what I'm saying is that the, the shot just before they had the device, they were both kind of stood there with their hands open. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As if something had been removed and then the next scene it's in the hand. 
I know why they've done it. They've done it so it's like it, it just appears, but it would appear and then they would have had to catch it, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Anyway. So they they it's their turn and they they transport to the planet. And they end up in the office with Hitler, Goebbels, and Goering. They do try and escape, uh, but they both end up getting arrested. <laughs> this is where they end up in the chimney. That's right. And yeah. Well, it's it's pitch black. <laughs> they transport. They end up somewhere pitch black. And Lister lights his Zippo uh, to see where they are. And if you look, um, his his lighter is what illuminates the s- small space that they're in. Yeah. He puts his lighter out and it remains illuminated. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> it's, it's, I've never ever noticed it before. Just sat watching making my notes. Thought, hey, let's rewind that. And I thought, oh, fair enough. I must. I've, I swear I've watched all these episodes with my eyes shut in the past. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen the um, the smeg out? Have you seen the the scene where he's in the the chimney? Yeah, probably yeah. knocking on wood. Yeah, well, it's meant to be stone, isn't it? So they knock on it and. It's basically just a, a wooden. A he wood. actually says, "Don't he?" Goes, "Look, stone." <laughs> he knocks on it. It, it sounds <laughs> like bolster. <laughs> Stare the crowd, and he, he just, it's quite funny. Yeah. So we've got the DVD. Watch the smeg out. Because that's quite funny. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, he, he does, don't he? Because they're going to sort that out in the edit. <laughs> <laughs> the, there's something else about this episode. Um, every single historical face that Lister comes across with the exception of Rasputin, is able to tell Kat who they are, what they're famous for, and, you know, give them quite a bit of a history lesson on them. Yeah. Uh, Now, this is the same Lister that has never read a book and doesn't even know what an iguana is. I think, I I don't know, the Lister character seems to be a thicker when they want him to be thick, but all of a sudden when they need him, when I guess when Crichton's not around <laughs> and they need somebody to explain something, then it seems to be Lister's job. Well, it does. I mean, in Inquisitor, it seems to come out, certainly in the Inquisitor episode. I'm not sure where else it, we see it, but there's a, there's more to Lister than just, you know, just, just a rogue that is, you know, that's stupid. You know, he actually says, you know what you could have been, you know, you know how smart you really are. And, yeah, I just wonder how much of it is actually just taken in. You know, he, he knows, but he actually pretends that he doesn't, you know, he just to fit in with his um, more ignorant friends, as it were, you know, with Peterson and Shelby and what have you. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, because, well, from the books, you don't really get a background on him, do you? It's kind of, he was out having a little party, he was celebrating a birthday, and that's where he ended up on... Um Miners. You don't know his true background, do you? You just know he was getting on a mining ship to just slob it and get home. Yeah, well, it was a Monopoly board pub crawl, wasn't it? They went wrong. Yeah. Mm. Maybe it's like a, a bit of a cover. There's nothing not that says he's not clever, is he? Do you know what I mean? We just, everyone just assumes he's a slob and he's not clever. Do you know what I mean? I know he says he's never read a book, but I don't know. I, I think he plays on it for comedy effect and what have you. He's, he's got this character that doesn't go in wine bars and is a bit of a scally, you know, and what have you. That's the the role he plays in life. And obviously, you know, he, he, there's more to him than just that, though, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. The next scene starts. It goes back to Rimmer and Crichton on the planet. And they're still running from these monsters. Um, well, the monsters haven't actually moved or anything, but they're still running down this path. Um, all of a sudden, Elvis jumps out and Pope Gregory and uh, arrests them. Well, the Elvis impersonator, uh, Clayton Mark, is fantastic throughout this episode. 
And according to the commentary and also a couple of other the websites, um, I, I think it was Wikipedia, I'm not sure, uh, Rob and Doug wanted to use uh, Clayton Mark again uh, in the Elvis role. And they did actually consider doing an episode where the crew found Elvis in space. Oh, right. Which would have been quite funny. <laughs> We, we were saying earlier weren't we Darren that you know mm. the impersonators were just they weren't very good in this but I, I that Clayton Mark's very good at Elvis I think and yeah I said he's a bit overused in the episode a little bit but I like him he's, he's quite funny in this it's it's just the little things like um, you know when he goes uh, right this away and he does his whole Elvis shuffle <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, when they when they're marching uh, you know they singing at the end and he just goes off on one you know for that last note um, yeah really it, it, it does it's uh, it's an instant smile to your face mm. well he turns up didn't he with his own his own gear didn't he full outfit and everything so well I've had a check on the uh, IMDB for uh, all of the named impersonators from this episode and I was surprised at how many of them aren't actually actors including Clayton Mark is um any appearances it they've had are actually as you know as the person they're impersonating, and I think Clay, I think Clayton Mark is actually I might be wrong. I'm sure his uh, IMDb page only listed Red Dwarf as his ever TV a movie appearance, uh, which surprised me. I would have thought he'd have been the one that would have appeared most. Hmm. Yeah, just loads of Elvis impersonators out there, didn't he? So. I suppose so, yeah. Probably after him to get a bit of work, isn't it? There's <laughs> even an Elvis Stormtrooper, you know. <laughs> There's an Elvis what? Stormtrooper. <laughs> <laughs> there is. He's world famous, this Elvis Stormtrooper, but it's not really the time and place for this, is it? <laughs> <laughs> the next scene starts, and Cat and Lister are in the prison cell. You've got Lister looking out the window, and he's describing what's going on to the cat. And um, he sees the air building. Well, he, he kind of tries to break it gently to the cat. He, he says he's um, the building like um, an upside down L shaped with an, an, an inverted L, <laughs> yeah, an inverted L with with a rope motif. <laughs> and he explains it building a gallows. Then he ex- explains that they he susses out that they're all the big villains, um, Al Capone and all the rest, and basically they're lining up as a firing squad and they they walk out Winnie the Pooh and he gets shot by the firing squad. Just imagine showing that scene there. Uh, yeah. Imagine that. Well, well, first think... of all, they wouldn't be allowed to with Disney, would they? Imagine uh, the money Disney would have wanted for that. Yeah. <laughs> the thing that makes me laugh is, though, they've, they've built these gallows with the, um, you know, the, the ropey theme. Yeah, it's got a noosey feel to it. And then they shoot him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, the, the thing that cracks me up with this is just... The actual visualization, um, you, you know, you never, like you say, you never see Winnie the Pooh. You don't see him get shot, but the way it's described, and you know, you, you can almost picture in your mind is is refusing the blindfold. You know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it just, <laughs> you, you, you could swear that you'd actually seen this. You know, and obviously you don't. <laughs> it delivers the land very well, there, Craig Charles, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's fantastic from Craig. This is. Anyway, after Winnie the Pooh gets shot, um, the door opens and Abraham Lincoln gets thrown into the cell with him. Apparently this, this fellow who played Abraham Lincoln was like apparently so loud I could hear him in the studio next door. Because come across like that, doesn't it? You're only listening to him, is he like, just shouting his head off like very deep, very powerful man, isn't he? You know, like trying to get across. But yeah. 
Yeah, plays it really well, don't he? Mm. You see, right, th- this is my main concern about this episode. I do like the fact that they are using imitators, but I thought that um, the people that were imitating were over-imitating. It, it's almost, I mean, as me and Ian were discussing earlier, and it's almost like it's, you know how we say in Red Dwarf that they stick big labels on them. It's like, we know it's a toaster, but we're going to write toaster on the side of it just in case you didn't know. It's like, we know this guy's Abraham Lincoln. He looks like Abraham Lincoln. It's like, let's make him shout. Let's make him 100% certain that you're Abraham Lincoln. And I, I thought that was exactly the same with all the other impersonators. Um, but, but don't you think if... Um if Madame Two Swords could have wax droids, don't you think they'd be like this? I do, yeah. E- exaggerated. I mean, you go to Madame Two Swords and there's not many of the wax... I nearly said droids. There's not many of the <laughs> wax models that you look at and you think, that looks just like him. There's, most of them you look at, you think, ooh, it looks like a freakish uh, David Beckham or a freakish yeah, Jonathan yeah. Ross. And they're almost exaggerated with the facial expressions. And I just take, I just take it as, um, you know, they're not droids, impersonation, impersonator droids, they're wax droids. And so I take it as, um, it's, it's a, in the same way as a wax model is a poor imitation of the real thing. Um, perhaps the wax droids are an over-exaggerated version of the real, you know, okay, person. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But, I suppose that's, that's probably the best way to... Best yeah. way to put it, isn't it? I mean, that that was my main concern about this, that everybody was... It, it's almost in your face, like, I am this person and I am over-exaggerating this person. The other thing as well is Abraham Lincoln is um, is supposed to have a bit of a regal, righteous feel to him, you know, and the the way he talks, I can imagine him being like... Well, I don't know, because I've never actually seen any film footage of Abraham Lincoln, but do you know what I mean? Um, I can imagine him coming across like that as a powerful, all-righteous person. You know, yeah. I will not do... So, you know, I can't remember his line, so I'm going to make stuff up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, I, I see where you're coming from. Um, it's just my thing that they've been on there for three million years and they've broken their programming that yeah. maybe they wouldn't be like that anymore possibly yeah yeah the next scene starts and Crichton and Rimmer are being taken to the HQ of the well the good guys they find out there is a wax wall theme park and it's full of wax droids that are breaking the programming over the time in this HQ you've got like Stan Laurel and you've got Marilyn Monroe and um you actually find out that they're at war, basically good versus evil, and Rimmer sees it as his chance to, this is his his uh, lifelong ambition, to go up against like Hitler and Napoleon and the likes. Now, now this is the bit that don't make sense, because uh, Rimmer and Crichton are arrested and are taken prisoner. Yeah. Uh, and then the droids explain what's going off, it's good versus evil, and you know we're losing and all the rest of it. And Rimmer then just suddenly decides that he's in charge. And all the good guy wax droids start to do as they're told. Yeah, I just, yeah. It's all, I can understand it from a kind of story point of view that they've been needing a leader because they're all good guy wimps, I guess. If, if you compare them to the bad guys, they are, they are quite wimpy. Especially Stan Laurel, yeah. <laughs> well, you see, this is uh, what I mentioned in the previous scene. I, Stan Laurel, we know who Stan Laurel is. But again, I think he's just to overemphasize 
uh, that I understand Laurel. It's like when uh, Marilyn Monroe does the boo boob de boo. In fact, you can do that really well, Kate, aren't you? No, I, I've <laughs> um, and it's like when there's Pythagoras, there's that big sketch about we can do everything with, everything with triangles. If there was, uh, if there's only twenty of us, but if there was twenty one, we could make a triangle. It's like yeah, okay. but that's that's done for comedy though, isn't it? That's... No, I know, but again, for me, it's like he's just had a cold, aren't he? Just ignore him. He's got a cold. <laughs> you know how you were grumpy last week. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm gonna say I'm lusting after nicotine, and even I'm not getting wound up by that. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, I, I just thought that it was like, okay, I get it. I, I know who it is. I understand. But it's like, it's almost like being drummed into you, right? This this is Pythagoras. This is Einstein. This is Stan Laurel. It's like, well, I got that from the first visual thing. I don't need to be told multiple times. I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it was just because I was making the notes absolutely no streaming full of cold man flu. I don't know what you mean. Like, you'd like seem to like put them in these costumes so you just like, you can barely tell who they are, but... Did you like put it in your face? Like, look, it is Einstein. Yeah, it's Pythagoras. Look, look, look. But I suppose it goes down to what Annie said before. Like, you know, like just the wax copies of like the real person, aren't they? So, yeah. The next scene starts and Cat and Lister are still in the cell. Abraham Lincoln is explaining what the war is over. Um, that the bad guys basically want to melt them down and insert new programming, which I found a little bit strange. Why don't they just reprogram? The, there's no need to melt them down, really. Yeah, but you can't you can't have somebody like Alexander the Great's personality in um, Winnie the Pooh's body, can you? <laughs> well, no. Okay, or Gandhi's body, I guess. Yeah. Caligula comes in and he demands to know how the teleport device works. Yeah, well, this is Tony Ox, isn't it, now? Yeah, yeah. Um, this is his last appearance in Red Dwarf, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, it, it is. Called the Fifth Dwarf, but after season four, he's not here. No. This mm. is the final episode, he's in it. Well, he, he, he does the whole scene where he's asking... He's asking all of them, isn't he, just in general? Yeah. It's just a and general the, question to them, isn't it? It's the cat always gives him a cheeky answer. And then he slaps Lister's face, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there's basically Caligula there, uh, Rasputin next to him, and he wants to know how the device works. And basically says, right, you just press these buttons, hold on to this, and away we go. Um, at the la- very last minute, it's weird, he kind of does a countdown, it's just like, three, two, one, let go, and then presses the button and Lister the cat and Lincoln escape. You find Rasputin and Caligula in a little metal, metal cupboard next to them. Yeah, what's the same thing that happens in the bit earlier, earlier in the episode, isn't it? Yeah. Where Crichton yeah. and Lister get transported into the shower. Yeah, that's right. It, it's kind of, yeah, yeah, it's practically the same scene and same dimension and everything, isn't it? I tell you what, though, it's hilarious, just the look on Tony Hawk's face, you know, when he comes out of that cupboard and he's got like a baffled, you know, bamboozled look on his face and it really cracks me up that does yeah (laughs) the next scene starts and basically Rim has got the troops lined up well you can call them the troops Uh, he's got like Mother Teresa and he's got like Gandhi and Stan Laurel and he's got them all lined up and he's doing his very much military walking up and down and inspecting them all yeah well he walks past Gandhi doesn't he and like uh, this might just be me but how old would you expect the actor to be there Looks quite old, to be honest. Yeah, well, apparently he was the second actor to come in and play Gandhi, and he's the younger one. So <laughs> really? <laughs> just God knows how old this other, other man was going to be. But anyway, he replaced because um, the crew discovered that it was too cold and he was too frail to do the press-ups that Rimmer orders him to do in the minute. Oh, right, okay. So he was replaced by a more younger 
actor. <laughs> like, I tell you what, I can remember uh, one of the comments on uh, the Dwarf cast about this episode, and I can't remember who it was, but one of the Dwarf cast lot turned around and says, "More to the point, where did they manage to find somebody that looks like Gandhi like that? It's such you know such short notice. <laughs> <laughs> it just if you think about it, you know, you know the more I think it was the morning of filming they decided now he's he's no good. We need somebody that can do press ups in the cold, and he just went out and found somebody that looked like him. It's it is fantastic, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So imagine applying for that, yeah. Do you look like Gandhi? And can you do press-ups in the cold? Yeah. Yeah, you've got the job. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine the agent, can't you? Like, you know what? i finally got a job for you. <laughs> now, I know it's a bit cold, but we need to do a press-up. <laughs> but I'm 70. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> the next scene starts, and Cat and Lister they make it back to the HQ with Lincoln. They say to Rimmer that basically they don't agree with what he's doing and Rimmer has them put under arrest and basically he has them um, tied to chairs while they commence battle. Yeah, well, it's just the show's like Rimmer's plan. Do you know what I mean? The show's like how much this has really gone to his head. Yeah. You know, it's very similar to the attitude we've seen in towards body swap. You know, when he um, controls Lister's body, like, he all seems to rush to his head, you know. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Mm-hmm. I, I tell you what I did find weird on this. I mean, you've got Crichton saying, sorry, I didn't have a choice, which, granted, he doesn't. He says he has to obey the orders of Rimmer. But I'm sure we saw in another episode that a live human outranks a dead human, as far as Crichton's concerned. So when Lister turned up, he should have just said, no, Crichton, just grab him or something, or pass me his light be, and then it would have been game over. Ah, but then Rimmer would have got the wax droids to overpower Crichton. Yeah. I guess, I guess, yeah. Would you try and do something Elvis is standing there pointing a gun at you? <laughs> That's a valid point. But to be honest, once oh. you... <laughs> I think once you're taking out Elvis, that were it. That you don't really have much competition, then, do you? No, I don't know. That Santa looked like a, it could go. <laughs> <laughs> and they've got more than three years practicing hand-to-hand combat. So. <laughs> the next scene starts, and basically you've got the battlefield. They've got a big trench down the middle, and you've got Rimmer riding up and down on a bike uh, very military and it's basically this is the last day run for it troops well you've got the um, Rimmer's uh, hard training them before all this yeah and he's been pushing them and I think it's Crichton says that he's been pushing them that hard that three of them have melted that's right yeah yeah every single person you see at the lineup turns up at the battle there isn't three people missing no but there wasn't I don't think there were 20 people in that Q, uh, because when Pythagoras was on about that if we had 20, we've only got 20, right. but if we had 21, uh, there'd be enough for a triangle. You've got me. Yeah, okie doke, I'll take that. All right, <laughs> well, what about this? <laughs> Rimmer, Rimmer turns up on a motorcycle. Yeah. On a, on a hologram motorbike or a, That's right, a yeah. hollow bike. Uh, we'll, we'll go with hollow bike, yeah. So um, is it a hologram bike and has it got its own light V or... Is he is he riding it by his only physical presence, which is the light bee? I think it's probably just going to be an extension of his hologram, isn't it? It's a um, weird one, that, isn't it? Yeah. Just if, if, if it's an extension of his hologram, then it explains why Holly can be. That was my next thing, wasn't it? With Holly being on the bike's headlamp, um, yeah. this whole episode we've not had Holly there. You know, you'd expect to have seen her in Crichton's uh, uh, belly. 
belly monitor thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, we've not had Holly there for the whole episode yet. Suddenly she just appears on that bike's headlamp. Yeah. Uh, it just seems a bit weird, that. Yeah. It then goes to a shot where you've got Hitler shooting out the window and in from behind sneaks in Queen Victoria and she basically gets out a gun and shoots them all in the back. And then you've got crime that sneaks up behind her. Yeah, well, you've got a, a great bit of acting from Kenneth Hadley with the, the yogurt coming out of his mouth, which is um, the cast say on the cast commentary, which is one of his many talents. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Having yogurt coming out of his mouth. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to look good in the CV. <laughs> well, this, when you see Crichton here, yeah. His costume doesn't look right. No, it looks kind of a bluey colour, doesn't it? Now, what I think has happened, yeah, it looks like it's made out of uh, bin liners that's got like a different reflective property on them. Yeah. Uh, but I'm looking at it and I'm sure he's normally got leg plates on. It's as if he's not got the leg plates on. I'm not sure. I, mm. I, I thought it was because it was natural lighting. Because uh, normally they've got artificial lighting coming from the top and this, this had the lighting coming in through the window and I thought it was that that was thrown okay. out. Because he has got the plates on the side of his legs. If you look closely, he has got plates on the side. Yeah. Well, as you Dan said, I think it's just down to the lighting because it looks kind of purpley, but the rest of the suit is like a jet black, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. You good with that, Andy? Yeah, yeah, that's all. <laughs> oh, I'm, not sure, I'm, I'm not sure that's why it's a weird one that. no it might not be but that that was my thought I thought because there was like light coming in through the window then it reflects differently we've had so many different variations of Crichton's costumes anyway haven't we so yeah once once Crichton gets into that room he radios to Rimmer and Rimmer says right that's it turn the heating up to 100 and then basically you'll melt them all surely a thermostat doesn't go up to 100 in the first place and B if they've got the windows open it's never going to get to 100 <laughs> now this but, is in the future oh right okay <laughs> future, future heating systems <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure 100 degrees would be very uncomfortable it was it, what it was the guy that crea- created Waxworld he'd um, this was fail safe was it yeah, yeah it's, it's in the movie Westworld. Right. The <laughs> best thing you can do is put thermostats in that go up to 100. <laughs> but don't tell them it's 100. <laughs> do, you reckon, do, you, do you reckon this episode's based on Westworld at all? Or, um, or it, like a bit of a... I have, I have read somewhere that it... I think it's on Wikipedia, actually. I think it states that it's... Um, that that there's it's a strong influence uh, from Westworld, but I I don't know if it is or not. I think you could eat just as easily turn around and say Dirty Dozen. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. What 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 site's that? Uh, I think it was on Wikipedia, or it might have oh, been. So, um, so it must be true then, yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, Wikipedia. Yeah, that, yeah, it was <laughs> Westworld. It's a, it's a total rip off. <laughs> The next scene starts and basically you've got the normal crew and they're back in the good guy HQ. They're explaining that nobody survived, good or bad. Basically, List is kind of annoyed at Rimmer that he he's taken the entire population of good and bad and basically killed them all. Um, all the good guys just got slaughtered because they were pretty rubbish and all the bad guys got melted and it, it was just an entire civilization just wiped out by Rimmer. Basically, Lister decides to get his revenge by... Taking his light bee and swallowing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, this is part of it, isn't it? You know, where like, well, Craig Charles was into poetry reading way before he got to part of Lister. And like, you can tell, like, it, the way he rolls the, like, the insult off there, you know, to Rimmer at the end. Yeah, yeah. You can see it come from the background because the way he says it, like, he's very, he's got a way with words, like, just the way he says it, like, 
you know, the corp that lit the lie, saving the knowledge, knowing they stuffed it for peace. You know, just like that, the way he reels that off, it's like, I like that. Yeah, yeah. That sort of makes my comment look stupid now. <laughs> Holly, give me his light B. Where is Holly now? <laughs> <laughs> That's a valid point. <laughs> well, she's on the bike, isn't she? What, outside? <laughs> it's over the bike's gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, out of interest, I actually looked up all the impersonators to see what they'd done previously. Yeah, and I've not, I've not written them all down, but uh, a couple of them that I thought I'd mention: um, Hitler, played by Kenneth Hadley, uh, been in uh, Boone, Beatles about drama, drama. If you remember all them, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, there have been Beatles about that's about it. <laughs> yeah, I remember Boone and drama. Drama, drama was a, like a kids. Uh, ITV drama show, I think it was, if I remember rightly. Can you remember Boone, Ian? Nope. Never no. No. Uh, Neil no. Morrissey is probably his first acting role. He played no. Rocky. He played a biker called Rocky. Um, no, Einstein, Einstein was played by Martin Friend, who was in The Avengers, um, The New Statesman. And interestingly, he played... I don't know how you pronounce this, Stigron or Stigron in Doctor Who's 1975 story, The Android Invasion. I think it was about four or five-part story, and he was in all of them. Cool. Um, Abe Lincoln was played by Jack Cliff, and he's been in Coogan's Run, Whoops Apocalypse, and, get this, Darren, he played Red 4 in Star Wars. Fantastic. (laughs) <laughs> that that one really did interest me. That one, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I've said it as well. Caligula, um, we knew, we know it was Tony Hawk's, and it was his last Red Dwarf appearance. This episode is also the last episode that Ed By directed until he returned in Series Seven. Oh, okay. So yeah, he actually um, at this point he left Red Dwarf. And something else I noticed as well is that Pauline Bailey played Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. And if you can remember the mess that Leslie Ash's sister made in the Better Than Life episode at playing Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, exactly. They went and got somebody else in. Yeah. Oh, you, mean the, you mean the Marilyn Monroe person, impersonator who gone to Marilyn Monroe's catchphrase? The one I'm not going to that try and repeat because <laughs> I got it wrong too. <laughs> That's the one. In fairness, though, I don't, I don't earn my keep by uh, impersonating Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> <laughs> that's a valid point. Right, well, that's the episode review done. Um, we'll be on to the scores in a second. I've got an audio comment to play just from Parallel Universe, so here it is. Hello, everybody at uh, Red Dwarf Forums. This is Parallel Universe. Uh, I, I realise that I haven't been on the forum for uh, a couple of months at least, but I'm going to try to be on there some more. Anyway, but I'm, I'm getting off point right away. Um, I'm, I, I'd just like to stop by and give my thoughts on Meltdown. Um, so here it goes. I'm going to be completely honest. This is not one of my favorite episodes. I mean, it's, it's a great episode, but um, it's, it's just not one of my favorites. I mean, it's Red Dwarf, so I'm, I like it regardless of like how much I like it. But I gotta say, out of all the Red Dwarf episodes, this is probably one of my least favorites. Um, but there were some pretty good scenes in there, like uh, like the Winnie the Pooh scene. That was pretty funny. Um, even though I was a fan of Winnie the Pooh when I was younger, I 
I mean, actually, actually, that's probably why I find it funny, because I was such a huge fan of Winnie the Pooh when I was younger. Um, and also the, the Caligula scene with uh, Tony Hawk's. You gotta love Tony Hawk's. Um, the Fifth Dwarfer, they used to call him, if I'm correct. But, yeah. Um, so, yes. Tony Hawk's as Caligula. Silence, scum! Funny. Great, great scene. Guy um, who played Abe Lincoln wasn't half bad as well. And the Elvis impersonator doing the... Um, doing uh, the Red Dwarf theme at the end. I thought that was pretty cool as well. Um, and if I'm correct, he was quite ill when he did that. He had like a high temperature. If uh, I heard that on the uh, on the DVD commentary for season four. I'm not sure if that's correct or not, but according to the cast on the DVD commentary, the uh, guy who played the Elvis uh, impersonator was um, had a high fever when he recorded it. Or something to that effect, I don't know. So, on the whole, it wasn't really a bad episode, it's just, I don't know, it, it never really caught my attention as much as some of the other ones did. I mean, like I said earlier, there were a few classic scenes, but not much other than that. Well, um, that's, that's about all from me. I'm gonna try to be on the forum more, if, uh, my life permits it. Uh, yeah, I've got a bit of a crazy life at the moment. Um, yeah. So, I'm gonna try to do it on the forum, and I'm gonna try to, um, yeah, I'm just gonna try to hang out, uh, on the forum more often, because it's a great forum. But, I digress. I'm going to let the, the guys get back to what they're doing on the Stuttercast. So yes, that's that's all from me. This is Parallel Universe, and I'll see you later. Right, the scores. Okay, me personally, I don't know if this was the fact that I was taking the notes full of cold, or whether it was the fact that I, well, as I mentioned all throughout the episode review, I just thought the impersonations were a bit overdone. I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I can't do these impersonations, but I just thought they were a little bit too in your face. I, I knew who Stone Laurel was, and I knew who Pythagoras was, I knew who Einstein was. I didn't need it. I, I didn't need, like, a big sign on them saying, I am this person. And, and the storyline itself was only okay. I know it was a rimmer strong episode, but I don't know. I only give it a 5 out of 10. That, that's me personally. Uh, what about you, Anthony? Um, I have gone quite a bit higher than you i've gone for eight out of ten um i've always enjoyed this one okay uh, it, it's always been cited as the fans least favorite okay uh, personally I, I can't see it it's to me it's fresh and it's original i think it's got a fantastic script in it um i love the concept um I mean, when you're talking the the Winnie the Pooh Winnie the Pooh scene, uh, yeah. look at the intro scene with the wrist roll in it. it. It's classic dwarf to me, uh, with an original setting as well. You know, for the story, um, I wonder if it's because it's not set in space that uh, so many of the fans did, you know, state that they didn't like it. Uh, but me personally, I, I love it. I think it's fantastic. Eight out of ten. Okay, and um, you, Ian. Yeah, I just want to basically echo what Anthony just said. Um, 
But I've, I noticed listening to the Dwarf cast as well, and I've seen it right across a few sites as well, that um, the only reason it's cited as a poor episode is down to two or three surveys um, by the Red Dwarf fan club who scored it bad. But these same people also done a survey, said Series 8 was the second best series. So if you ask me, that's basically enough said. So you know what I mean? Uh, not, not very strong survey. Okay. Um, yeah, as you said, Dan, as well, the impersonator may not be the best. I like the Elvis impersonator. The idea of the episode is brilliant. And of course, we have the Elvis style theme tune at the end. But overall, I'm going for an 8 out of 10. Okay. Right. Anyway, that's a five and eight and an eight. I worked out to seventy percent. So apologies, I've dropped the score down quite a bit. Otherwise, that would have been quite a high score in an episode. So the next section is what's going down in Groove Town after a quick advertisement from Movies for the Blind podcast. Isn't technology great? Now you can watch movies and TV shows anywhere you want on devices you can hold in your hand, but not on a shuffle. And what if you're driving? Or just walking down the street. People who are vision impaired always have to try to enjoy visual media without looking at it. Sometimes they get help from something called audio description, which turns this... It's amazing! ...into this... It's amazing! With a flurry of punches, Joe drives Gilbert across the ring. He keeps connecting, pinning Gilbert in the corner. Making a movie... Into an audiobook, he reads a letter he's writing to a district attorney. Dear sir, my wife and close friend, who is also my physician, are planning to kill me. He was in love with her before I met her. Check out Movies for the Blind, a weekly podcast of great public domain movies from the Internet Archive, and you can enjoy them without looking at a screen. Moviesfortheblind.com All right, dudes. What's going down in Groovetown, then? Groovetown. Uh, a reasonable amount being going on in the Red Dwarf world, but um, I'll pass you across to Anthony just to um, fill in those details. Yeah, it's not, there's, there's nothing really major. Uh, I've been on the official Red Dwarf site again. Before, they were playing uh, Infinity Welcome to Careful Drivers. Uh, well, they're now broadcasting on BBC Radio 7 Better Than Life radio right. play. Uh, so it's Sunday nights, 10 p.m. Um, it's basically the abridged version of the novel. Right, um, cool. If you if you can't make it, don't forget it's available on the BBC iPlayer. Uh, also, the official site. On the last episode, we commented that um, Series Eight was finally up on iTunes. Yeah, uh, it wasn't. <laughs> it, didn't, <laughs> okay. it, it didn't get it didn't get posted for some reason. Uh, the official site has basically said that it got delayed on iTunes, but it is now available to download uh, nearly a month later than originally planned. But yeah, it's there now. So if if you tried and thought you've got that wrong, um, it was the best information we had available at the time. Um, also, there's been a member on the on the forum under the name Length is Distance, um, just posting about Normal Vet's new stand-up. Um, for people who haven't heard nothing about it, Normal Vet is doing a new stand-up show at Saltbox Comedy Club in Norwich. Um, not too sure about the total address, but that's all that's being posted. Um, doors open at quarter past seven or till quarter past eight, and the show should finish around eleven. Um, tickets are £10, £8 if concession and tickets available from the Norwich Arts Centre box office and there's a phone number there that I'll get um, Anthony to put in the show notes for you so it might be worth a look on that try and give it a... especially if you're in Norwich or very close there uh, Mr Blakey Biz yeah uh-huh. well Norman Vetter recently done one with the Hattie Hayridge 
stand up as any. Um, I never personally went to see it myself, but I've heard a few people saying the, the actual comedy part of it, besides the Red Dwarf talk, was a bit poor. But they did do the Red Dwarf question and answer after it, so. Okay. Maybe it might be something dwarf related, but after the recent news, I doubt it, but it might be worth going to see. Yeah, sure. Right, there's, uh, there's another new forum user uh, come on, uh, Mushroom God. And basically, I think he's only come on just to plug a link to his um, site. Uh, but it's actually, it's quite an interesting one. Uh, we've got links on the site to uh, most of the episodes um, that are up on YouTube. Uh, well, this chap's actually put a site together with links to, um, basically, so you can stream any episode of Red Dwarf. Um, so you've not got the 10-minute YouTube limitations. You've not got them in three parties. Uh, so if you want to watch any episode of Red Dwarf, it's not like the Justin TV one, which is playing constantly. You you put that one on and basically see whatever episode is being broadcast. Yeah, this yeah. one, you can actually stream whichever episode you want when you want to watch it. Uh, so if you go to www.dwarfer.org, and um, the links are all on there to the individual episodes. Fantastic. Oh, and just finally, uh, just um, another new member that's signed up to the forum and somebody else who reads the show notes. Uh, welcome to Rudolph. Thank you very much for posting. I think he must be the only listener we've got that actually reads the show notes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's only us three that read them and Rudolph now. <laughs> <laughs> that's four of us. You just wanted to, um, n- now you're back in, you just wanted to mention something about the backwards episode. Oh. Yes, I think I've said something about it before, but fifty-two percent. What's going on there? I I think that I think the episode, <laughs> because we overanalyze the episodes, and I think when you sit down, I, I tell you what, and I, I know you mentioned that when you score something, you will watch it through without making any notes and then give it a score. Mm. And I think if I'd have done that, this it would have probably got a better score. Unfortunately, I score them after I've made the notes. Um, and I just, I think we had so many notes in it. There were so many flaws. There were so many things that didn't work. Um, that's why it got scored so low. Not just that. I actually, it, I, I, the things I spotted in it made, did actually ruin the episode for me. I sat there thinking, no, that won't work. No, that. And I became really cynical about this one episode. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> I think I've, I'd, like I said before, I need to give it a few months, watch it again without any paper, any pen, no judgmental. Just sit, watch, enjoy, and I'm sure it'll it'll come back up to at least a seventy percent. Mm. Yeah. So for anyone out there, if these well, ruin that episode for you, I apologise on their behalf. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> Just don't listen to it. Just delete it. That's what I've done. <laughs> Welcome to the Parrot's Bar, the place you can drink a curry-flavoured tequila slammer that burns on the way in and on the way out. Parrot's Bar, well, last two weeks, I've had actually quite a nightmare. Last week, no, the last week we recorded, um, a couple of days after that, my boiler went and it had to have a new fan, which was lovely, so I had to have two days in the snow without, um, without heating, which was lovely. This weekend... No, sorry, last weekend I got woken up by my neighbour brain on the door and my outside tap had burst. So I just had water firing everywhere, which again was lovely. Um, it was snowing outside, so I was trying to replace an outdoor tap in the snow. 
which is fantastic. And then because of all these and also trying to get fit, I think everybody does at the beginning of the year, everybody's like motivated to quit smoking like you, Anthony, or get fit and go running and stuff. But unfortunately, he's done nothing but snow this year. So I've been getting up at like eight o'clock every morning, going for a run before work. Uh, but it's taken its toll. Uh, Thursday, I came down with the man flu. Uh, so <laughs> I've been off. Well, I've still been going to work, but I haven't been running or cycling for the last couple of days. So I don't think it's really done any positive effect. So the negative effect, like the sound, I think. Well, I think so. Yeah, <laughs> I think I'm at a backward step now. Then I was beginning of the year. One thing that we cut out from, um, un- unfortunately, when we recorded the last episode, we we. I had to cut out quite a lot to keep it down to the normal file size. Me and Anthony had quite a long-winded conversation about Avatar. The best film ever. Well, this this is good. We've now got another opinion on it. And mm. I, we apologise now. If you haven't already seen Avatar, um, this will be a spoiler. So if you're using the enhance, just skip ahead. Um, <laughs> Avatar, I don't know about you, but I mean, th- this was the first film that popped... Well, this was the film that I used to pop my 3D cherry and I was just blown away by it. It, it. The film was two hours and 40 minutes, and I, I felt like I was sat there for half an hour. It was just awesome. Yeah, uh, I went to see it in, in Manchester. I made sure I went to the IMAX to see this one. So Oh, right, okay. Yeah, uh, I've, I've went to IMAX in Sydney whilst we were away, and um, the IMAX in Sydney is the biggest screen in the world. Okay. It's just sort of like eight stories high, the screen. So we went to this one, and it's not, much smaller but yeah, the picture and the 3D was like, literally just like physically like you're watching it you know that like, literally takes your breath away you know the, the picture was so clear and we were like queued up for an hour to get in there before it actually started so we were right in the middle and you know the 3D on it was just like you know I've seen a few 3D films and that was just like you know the top and it actually worked the 3D yeah yeah Mm. I mean, a lot of people have actually said that, uh, I've seen it posted around the internet quite a lot, that basically the storyline is Pocahontas, which, fair enough, um, it, I don't think this film was about the story, I think it was about the visual effects, I mean, that that's what everybody's been waiting for. Yeah, actually, I, I, I don't get me wrong, the visual, the visual effects are probably the best we've seen, you know, in the cinema, but I think there's more to it than that, like the characters and, you know, the story is, it's basic, but, and you basically, you know what's going to happen, but. And don't you're just involved in the in like the, the, the Pandora, you're like so involved in the story and like the world that's going on. It's just like you don't really pay attention to like you know what's gonna happen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think my I think one of the things I've stated through it is um yeah, it's a simple, plain story, it's predictable, it's one that you've you've heard a hundred times before. Um so was Star Wars in nineteen seventy seven. Yeah, yeah. That's and point. it was just so well done. Um I mean, to be honest with you, I think the dialogue in Star Wars is very, very questionable. I think it's saved by um, it, it, it's saved by Harrison Ford that movie, basically. Um, but Avatar is um, it's exactly the same. There's some dodgy dialogue in it. There's all the rest of it, but the actual the effects and the way it's all carried out, it's so fantastically told. It 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 is. It, it doesn't matter that the story's been told a hundred times before. This one is told well. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I think the was- only the only thing 
One one thing Jacob, I remember Jacob from Nerd Hurdles writing on a forum about Star Wars was that he wasn't a fan and isn't a fan of Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Okay. Uh, not to the degree that he is with Star Wars. The way he sees it is Star Wars is a perfect movie that's standalone. It's got a beginning, it's got a middle, it's got an end, a definitive end to it. And to him, it's a perfect film that didn't need a sequel. And I would argue that Avatar is the same. Yeah. Uh, now, I have heard that we are going to get two sequels. Um, I worry about that to a degree. I don't think it needs a sequel. I love the story and, you know, what have you. But I don't think it actually needs to have a follow-up. Mm -hmm. You know, I would like it to sit, stay as it is. Agreed, you know? yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm, you know, I, I'm one of the people is, if you've got a film, that's good. Um, I hate it when Hollywood will cash in and make three. You know, kind of like The Matrix, they... If you watch The Matrix, you watch the first one. You don't really bother with the second or third one. But I think I've got that much trust in James Cameron that he will make a good trilogy. I mean, if you look yeah. at his past films, like, there's not one bad film, is he? Titanic. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's mostly, it's not people, it's, you know what I mean? Like, you, you know, I, I like sci-fi films and stuff like that, but you can't take away, like, I'll tell you one thing I did here. Um, now, this this has the potential for being a spoiler. Uh, on another podcast I heard, he says that this film will definitely have a sequel, and he thought it would have been brave for them to end the movie at a particular point. Um, very brave to make people think, oh, you know, and that's it. They can't wait to see the sequel. Instead of, whereas now I'm sat here saying it doesn't need one. Yeah, yeah. I would rather be sat here now saying, oh, I can't believe they finished it the way they did. And that is, if you just skip forward 30 seconds, and this is the spoiler coming now, the bit where they blow the tree up. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, yeah, if it had finished at that point with everything in ruins and desolation and everybody upset and the, the natives defeated... Yeah, that to me would have been a perfect ending for that film if it was going to be part of a trilogy. Ab absolutely, yeah, yeah. But is it written as a trilogy though? Has he gone into this film? Has he gone into doing this film knowing he's going to do three films, or has he just realised how big it's been? And I've heard rumours, nothing official, but I, I saw a posting on the internet saying that um, they've it was somebody else repeating something they've heard, and they said that the. Um, the uh, Pandora is actually a moon, you know, and so what they've heard is that the second and third parts might be set on a different moon, on a neighbouring moon to Pandora. So it yeah. might not even be the, the Navi or what have you. Because when you watch the, um, the making of, like, there's an interview with James Cameron that was on Tally the other day, he said he hasn't just designed Pandora, he's designed like a whole universe yeah, that the film, yeah. can, the film can be can go into and it's not like there's eight moons in, in total or yeah. something around well, that well, you see we might end up with totally different avatars then instead of um, ten foot tall blue aliens with long ponytails you know you could end up with a short squat pink thing you know well, whatever. Didn't didn't I hear that he he went into it and he actually got his own language designed just yeah, specifically yeah. for this? Yeah, I think languages have been designed. Yeah, and I I also heard that. It was always going to have to make a sequel because the first one wasn't because he spent so much in the CG and creating the universe. He spent that much money. Yeah, well, I think his idea when he he was doing the film was he wasn't going to make any money on the first one, and then he could make his money back on the second, third, etc. Well, the technology he designed for it is called the box, isn't it? That's the style 
it's like it's like mapping, isn't it? It's not well. The characters are obviously, there's obviously CGI, but that's mapped over the actual actor, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah so that's the technology he's designed, and he and he's called the box. Well, I read that he made this money because he sold the technology on. Oh. Okay. And apparently Spielberg, Jackson, they've all put money into it to to use the, these these cameras and this technology. So right. Okay. That's what I heard. He's made his money back. Right. Okay. Cool. Oh, just um, one other film I want to mention. You may or may have not seen this. If not, um, Anthony, um, if you wouldn't mind putting this in the show notes. Has anybody seen the trailer for A-Team the movie? For what? A-Team? A-Team. Yeah. No, I've not seen the trailer for don't, it. Don't bother. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure what to think about it. Um, now, I've, I've seen a picture of the cast... The I, cast, I and think, I think they look good. I, I think I they think look very good. much the part. Um, but I, I saw the trailer, the the, and well, it, I think you'll have to watch it for yourself to make an opinion. Yeah. I'm semi excited about it, but it, I think it's going to be one of those. If you see it in the cinema, basically you're going to hand your ticket over to the guy. You're going to remove your brain, just put it to one side, <laughs> and just kind of enjoy the film and just. Not not watch it in a way that we watch anything. Yeah, well, I think it's, it's another way of Hollywood, just using a big name, if you ask me to be honest with you. Did you see the new trailer I posted for um, Kick-Ass? Yes. Oh, I was supposed to bring that up then. Is that, have you seen the trailer for it? Yeah. Yeah, looks it awesome, good, don't it? Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of a modern-day... Um, um, Condor Man. Well, Condor <laughs> Man, yeah, or Mystery Men. Yes, yeah. Mystery Men was a very good film, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, again, Mystery Men, that, that, that divides a lot of people. Some people say it's terrible. I, I personally love that film. Um, mm. the, the invisible guy that can only turn invisible when nobody's, nobody's looking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's not looking at himself. Um, the other big trailer that I've been looking at recently is that, um, have you seen it, the Clash of the Titans? Yes, that does look good. Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen it, Darren? It may have been shown at the beginning of uh, Avatar. I'm not sure. It, it sticks in my head, but I can't think what it was. It's basically just the Greek gods fighting, and they use Earth as the battlefield, basically. Oh right, okay. But like they summon like you know all these mystical creatures, like the Kraken or whatever it's called, from the Kraken. sea. Kraken. Yeah, and there's loads of other ones like. But it looks quite good. Um, special effects look amazing on it. Like. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. As you probably heard earlier, the audio clip was from the podcast Movies for the Blind. Um, Anthony's just going to run you through um, a little bit more details. Yeah, well, I, I heard about this uh, podcast. Uh, I heard that trailer, actually, on the Broken Sea audio drama, and it just seemed like a really good idea to me. You've, uh, As you know, I, as most of you probably know, I listen whilst I'm driving uh, to podcasts, and it's nice to actually... I thought that's good. I can actually sit and then listen uh, listen to a movie and not miss anything through not being able to look at the screen. And I've tried to watch. Uh, I've tried to have TV shows on my iPod before as I'm driving, and I always end up nearly crashing when I've got Red Dwarf playing on the iPod. <laughs> yeah. it, it doesn't work. I can't keep my eyes off that screen. So yeah, it has to be an audio only file for me. Um, so yeah, rem- uh, I don't know if you can remember me telling you about the Telestory Akira that I plugged a while back. Yeah. Uh, which was basically all the audio from Akira, and then um, you'd got 
like a, a narration over it that explains to you what you're missing through not having the visual. Uh, this is basically exactly the same thing. Uh, movies for the blind. Um, it's the audio from the film with a narrative explaining the visual. Um, the movies are all old. They're all public domain movies. So, you know, so as not to breach any copyrights. And you will probably, you will definitely find that not all of the movies will be to your taste. But there are some classics and there are quite a few that I've really enjoyed that I've been listening to. Um, one example is um, 1964's The Last Man on Earth, okay. which is the original story of I Am Legend and it stars Vincent Price. Uh, I sat and listened to that one. Fantastic. And I'm sure I probably enjoyed it more than if I'd have actually sat and watched the 1964 version. Okay. Um, the I listened to I listened to a film called Backroom Boy, which <laughs> which isn't what you're thinking. Uh-huh. You, you, I, you put this on the show notes, and I was just flicking through it, and I just seen that Backroom Boy, and thought, what what's that? <laughs> it's it's basically it's a British wartime comedy, and it's um, the Backroom Boy in the story is basically the guy that. Um, starts the electronic countdown for the Greenwich Mean Time clock on the radio. Okay. He has to be there on time. Uh, basically, it's a wartime comedy, and he, he he falls out with women, decides he's had enough of, um, doesn't want any woman in his life, and so he ends up taking a job on an island working on a lighthouse, and he's away from any other civilization. He gets there, and of course, there's um, a group of women get shipwrecked abroad. There's a, uh, sorry, shipwrecked onto the island. There's a young woman there, and then there's obviously Germans, uh, spies get involved and it's a typical wartime uh, comedy and it is it was really funny i enjoyed it so yeah um, worth checking out check it. if you don't like what's actually being broadcast at the moment the latest movie that's out on there have a look through their archives it is uh, you will find something in there there's sci-fi there's horror there's love stories if that's your, your interest there's all sorts uh, the address is there's no www it's just moviesfortheblind.com or if you search on iTunes for movies, movies for the blind, you'll find it on there. Excellent. Thank you very much. Right. Well, that's it for this episode. If you want to come and find us on the website, it's reddwarfforum.com. If you want to follow us on Twitter, it's twitter.com forward slash reddwarfforum. And finally, if you want to email in, it's scuttercast at reddwarfforum.com. Right, we'll be back in two weeks with the beginning of Series 5, which is Hollowship. So we'll see you in two weeks. Yeah, bye. Okay, bye. Bye.